yeah. to serve people from you know same same region. We're still in Latin America, mm-hmm. and although we're different countries, like we also have our history, you know, our stories of like agricultural farm work. I only had water every other day. The energy went out in Nicaragua wow. like four days a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when energy went out, you weren't going to get water if that was your day of getting water. Mm. So making your resources last as well and working with the resources you have available. Yeah. Make you very, you know, very aware is something I carry when I go to New York. Like, oh, that light is on. Why are you even, why do you have that light on? You don't need it to be on. <laughs> you know, showers. Why are you taking 40 minutes in the shower? You know, why is it so hot? And my family would be like, this was not you. Who are you? This is like, you are a completely different person. And I'm like, well, you know what? In a way, it's good because that means I am actually like committed to my growth. I'm committed to changing. Yeah. And you see it. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Floor as the guest. I'm also really excited to talk to you today because this is the 50th episode of Young, Gifted, and Abroad. Um, It almost doesn't feel real. I almost can't believe that I've interviewed 50 guests for this show but i have it is true and floor is the 50th guest um so just a little housekeeping Uh, you may or may not know that i count by tens when it comes to tracking the progress of young gifted and abroad so since we have reached another 10 episodes i will be putting out a new 10 cents episode next week where it'll just be me talking and reflecting on the show so far and what I'm thankful for and what I've learned and all that good stuff. And I'll also be talking about uh, my announcement. So last (laughs) episode last week, I mentioned I have an announcement to make. And that announcement is that I am taking a break. Uh, (laughs) I did take a break like mid-December last year in 2018 until after the new year but i was still doing stuff for the podcast even though episodes weren't coming out this time i'm taking a break a lot earlier and i'm not doing anything for young gifted and abroad until sometime in january Um, (laughs) so i'll be taking a proper proper break a proper hiatus for the next two months from November 12th onward and yeah that's my announcement (laughs) I'll talk more about the reasons why I'm doing that in the 10 cents episode Uh, nothing major just you know just checking in and letting y'all know what's going on Uh, so look forward to that next week but today we're not here to talk about me we're here to talk about Floor so Floor is so sweet Um, she reached out to me not too long ago she messaged me on Instagram and uh, apparently she heard about Young Gifted and Abroad through Tiffany Green who was the guest on episode 38 and so shout out to Tiffany thanks for spreading the word (laughs) so Floor found out about the show through Tiffany and Floor messaged me not too long ago asking to be a guest on the show because she wanted to uh, share her story and she had a lot to say and I'm so glad for it Um, (laughs) so Floor is from New York she's a first-generation Dominican-American 
uh, who is from New York City. And she, in undergrad, she got to study abroad in Jordan for a summer. And so she told me about that. And then uh, after graduating, she joined the Peace Corps and was placed in Nicaragua. So she told me about, well, first of all, her interest in going into international development um, and that type of work in the first place and the types of things she was doing while in the Peace Corps. And then also a little bit about the political history of Nicaragua that led her to uh, move to Costa Rica where she is now. So lots of really good, really interesting information in this episode. Flora has been uh, outside of the States for at least five years now and um, Nicaragua really had a profound effect on her life because that's where she spent most of those years. It's where she met her current partner and um, you know, she just announced recently that she is expecting a baby, which I didn't know <laughs> when we talked, but Floor is expecting her first child currently. Congrats to you, Floor. So, yeah, I'm gonna stop talking because I'm so excited for this episode and I hope you are too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Floor Montero. It's cool. If you're good with it, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it's really nice to meet you. And thank you also for agreeing to be a part of the podcast. I really appreciate that. And I'm really glad you reached out the way that you did. Thank you. No, I think <laughs> I, I saw what you're doing a few months back. I saw it through Tiffany. And I just think it's really important for us to create more of a community with folk of color for them to like see the opportunities that exist to travel so yeah if we can you know take advantage of spaces to really share experiences which is the only way that people can really connect to mm -hmm. to the truth of traveling i think that's what's best yeah yeah i completely agree yeah. um yeah so I, I was really looking forward to to talking to you today so why don't we start then with you introducing yourself a bit anything you want people to know about you right off the bat well my name is flor i am a first generation dominican american woman my parents both immigrated from dominican republic into that in the early 1980s mm -hmm. Then they ended up meeting in New York City, so I am born and raised in New York. I'm okay. 27 years old. I Well, I studied and grew up in the Bronx and also uptown Manhattan mm. in a place where many Dominicans live in New York City called Washington Heights, mm. specifically Dykeman. Um, and after that, in 2009 was when I started college. And I went to I went away for college, but I only left 45 minutes away to the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. Mm where I studied social sciences with a dual concentration in psychology and international studies. Wow. Yeah, so in 2009, I started college and I actually ended up starting with an unknown, I was like, I didn't have a declared major. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what I wanted to study, but I knew I wanted to be in a different environment. And it wasn't until after I studied abroad, I went to Jordan in 2012, mm to study I was studying that's when I had already been like transitioning into psychology being my major mm -hmm. and I was able to go overseas because I always knew that I wanted to do work with the international community whether that be in international development or in a political science field 
that's what I was navigating my first two years of college and okay. through my involvement on campus. And I obtained an opportunity to go study abroad during the summer for three months to Jordan and Amman. Mm-hmm. And it was learning about the culture. And also, I was also learning Arabic while I was there at the same time. And it was that trip in itself that led me to defining my major upon returning, upon returning back and declaring it in social sciences. Just given the work that I saw that, you know, one is able to do while I was overseas. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I feel like Jordan has not come up yet so far in the people I've talked oh. to. So that's pretty cool. And Arabic, from what I've heard, is pretty hard. So kudos to you for, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> it definitely is a challenging language. Mm-hmm. It does, like, since I do speak Spanish, there are some similar words mm-hmm. that we share. But overall, it's a very artistic language to write. <laughs> yeah. As well as to speak it, too. You know, it's, it was also very challenging. And the benefits to being in the Middle East, or being in Jordan specifically, is that it's English is also a second language there. So many yeah. people spoke English where we went. Yeah, that's really cool, though. Um, so, I mean, what was it because this program was related to what you were interested in that you ended up in Jordan? Or, like, why Jordan yes, of all places? Actually, Jordan, because my school already had an established partnership okay. with Princess Sumaya University in Jordan. So they would have students come from there to study or to study for four years or study for a summer or study for a year at my mm-hmm. university. So it's inter- it was an international university. Okay. So the majority of our student body was not only domestic, but it was also um, foreign as well. Mm-hmm. And that program specifically, when I was interested, because I had been navigating different places to go and you usually think of Europe would be like the first place that you go study abroad or within Latin America too due due to the closure or the closeness that it has with the U.S. Mm -hmm. but I I came across one of my friends and told me there's a space there's there's still space available to apply to go study abroad in Jordan this summer this was in January of 2012 and I had like just been like coming back from winter break and really still trying to find what I'll be able to afford or to find scholarships to cover the expenses. And as soon as she told me about that, I applied that same day. <laughs> so that same day I applied for it. I spoke to the professor, was an advisor within the, the school or the college that I was within, mm. which was the international college at the University of Bridgeport. And I, you know, I, I expressed to him my interest, what I hope to gain from it and what my future goals would be as well. And it was, I applied and a few days later, I had gotten accepted mm-hmm. into going to the program. And one of the advantages to it was that it already included the credits that we would be receiving. So we didn't have to cover that. That was a scholarship that we received from the university itself. Mm. And all we had to do was cover our travel expenses to go there round nice. trip back and forth, which was, you know, a great benefit to it as well. Wow. But also, you know, it was, it was one of the countries that I had been learning a language that I felt I was going to be utilizing throughout my career. This is what I thought back then, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't really used it since then again, mm-hmm. um, which is what led me to wanting to venture off into the Middle East. And also because I kind of found it to be at that time, right, without having been there first, just, you know, very, very unique to go to Jordan mm-hmm. in comparison to all of the other options that we have available to us and for the time period. And also that we were only two undergrads and seven master students. Oh, wow. Students. 
Okay. So it was a it was a very diverse group in ages. We were we were the two of us that were still fulfilling our undergraduate requirements. Mm-hmm. So it was good to have also like that mentorship from those that were around us and that were really defined in what path they wanted to continue taking with their careers or their personal lives in general. Yeah. You kind of have a, uh, almost like a glimpse of the future, even if you're not like at the time, even if you weren't thinking of going to grad school, you have people who are kind of further along in that journey to kind of mm-hmm. look at as an example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was it's great because they also still form like, you know, part of my life to this day mm-hmm. and the different ways in which we've been able to support our individual aspirations, you know, was something that was planted during that trip. Mm-hmm. You know, so much respect was built, so much awareness of our surroundings, you know, was something that we all truly were able to experience because you're very distant from anything similar to your culture. Like it would have been something if I had, had I been to Latin America, and had some similarities in the language and also the culture of Dominican Republic, which I had grown up visiting for the sun- during the summers as a mm-hmm. child. But it was to go to another part of the world, you know, another continent completely, and really immerse myself into the culture and into a community and go with a very open mind, which is a blessing because it's also something that I, that I shared with the group of people that I was with, that they all went you know, with a very open mind and different perspectives on how to how to navigate the experience. Yeah. And also, too, I yeah. think, you know, just to add on to that, um, coming from New York City, you know, and, and growing up in the era or being a child that was in fifth grade when the attack on the World Trade Center occurred, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, 9-11 and so many stereotypes and so much, you know, so many different ideas and just hate was expressed towards people as a whole Mm -hmm. from a certain region of the world. And you grow up, you know, subconsciously, you know, with some fears embedded in you that you didn't choose to have. And, you know, at the same time, you might project them, you know, in different instances and not even become fully aware Mm -hmm. of why it is that, you know, you're thinking a certain way about a certain group of people And I loved, you know, my university because of that, because we were already together on campus for two and a half years, you know, with people from India, with people from the Middle East, with people from Europe, and also um, people from Latin America Mm -hmm. and, and, and the Americas in general, you know. And I think that was something that also allowed me to be very open to going in comparison to the opinions of those around me, you know, as to why... I'm choosing to go and participate in a study abroad experience there, mm-hmm. fearing, you know, what would happen. Also, because it's in a state of, you know, attacks and war zones and all of these things that are happening, and you think you'll be subjective to it, but you can't stray away that there's still a population of humans that live in these countries that are not directly, you know, involved. Mm-hmm. And some activities, they build, they're they part of it, just like we live in the U.S., right? And so yeah. many incidents occur that we're not in control of. Yeah. And us having to to be open to also, you know, realizing that we have to be amongst the realities of others as well for us mm-hmm. to connect. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, you know, 9-11, that's something that yeah. stuck out to me as I was listening to you talk. It's like, yeah, like your hometown, sure, it's the whole country that's in... Um, in a state of confusion and shock when something like this happens, but also your, your city is directly affected. That's your home, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm glad that didn't... Oh, there's a train. <laughs> there's a train. <laughs> um, of course, you had... It was 2001. So that was like a little over a decade of time years, between yeah. that when you went. Um, but I'm glad that that didn't keep you from wanting to go to the Middle East and mm-hmm. experience the people there and, and see what life is about over there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that. my family tried. <laughs> oh, they did. They did? Yeah, my family definitely tried to instill some, like, fears or questioning inside of me. You know, they were very afraid. Be mm-hmm. careful. You're going to be there for so long. And I'm like, I'm literally going for the same amount of time I have a vacation during the summer. <laughs> yeah. To either be doing an internship or working in New York. And coming back, right? Because I still have a year to finish up school. Mm-hmm. So it's it was it was one of those things so that I had to repeat, you know, an, an action that was very similar to them being open to me going away for school because I'm the first one to also go away for college and the first one to graduate from college. Oh, so wow. there's a lot of firsts, you know, right. that I've had to to relive and obviously go through it with a different, you know, a different attitude every time because you become more aware of you know what you know what has influenced these these behaviors mm-hmm. and these beliefs you know in your family especially as migrants as well that you focus so much on survival and building you know a mm-hmm. new identity in a new country yeah. and you know detaching from what it is that you know your story is and your history is as well because you're in this new territory so it's also having to then again break out of that shell and it's something that you kind of battle, you know, at the same time, like, why am I doing this? You question the why, why you decided to have this interest in, in wanting to explore, you know, with, a, yeah. with an objective of improving or building community, you know, because when you travel, essentially that's what you do. You build community and sharing experiences and observing, you know, and just bonding with people that come from all walks of life. You know, some right. are travelers themselves, some are natives. And wanting to, you know, to explain that to your family so they can also break free, break free from the conditioning to yeah. also see that you can live. You're always living, right? You're still breathing. So you always have the opportunity to live something new. Yeah. And it was wanting to be able to share that. So we can also like stop being, you know, so close minded and just so sheltered in, a, in a one specific way of living and of doing things. And, and it was mm-hmm. wanting to also create that, you know, create that path. For my cousins, you know, that come after me, yeah. And for my and the generations that would come after me, to also, you know, be willing, just be willing to jump into something that is very different to what you've known for a long time. You know, it's out of your comfort zone, and this and build yourself. Yeah, I was going to ask um, if it felt like you kind of had um, a pressure or a weight on your shoulders being that you were the first to do so many of these things. But it sounds like you kind of use that as an opportunity to lead by example, like to set a new precedent for your younger relatives. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. But it does come with feeling like you have a load or it did come <laughs> yeah. at that time because yeah. I felt like I had to do it all. Right. You know, like I had to, I was very involved in my campus community as an undergraduate you know, and I had many different leadership titles or roles that I played. So there were different multiple roles, right? It was the role from the girl from New York back home mm-hmm. and then the roles of the woman that I was becoming, you know, yeah. while or transforming into while I was in, in college. And combining these two roles or multiple roles together, you know, at that time, it's me wanting to also, you know, fit a standard 
that I no longer do, right? But mm-hmm. back then, it was like, you need to build your resume. Yeah. You need to, these are the things that are going to determine what are, you know, what good or how good you are at something. And for you to, like, if you have a goal of management or being an entrepreneur or traveling or whatever it is, whatever direction it is you want to go in, there's so many things you feel you need to do besides, like, really looking for the answers within yourself, mm. you know? Yeah. And that was one of those that I, you know, was able to detach from and unlearn when I left, you know, the U.S. again a few years after, which I'm sure we'll go into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was like, you also learn about yourself by putting yourself in new spaces and, you know, doing something new. Mm-hmm. You, know, you find traits that you that maybe you, you hadn't, like, completely fully developed yet. So I think that's that's what also being able to like want to fulfill all of these different roles allowed me to obtain yeah. long term. For sure, for sure. Going back to the the Jordan thing, you know, your experience in Jordan, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed like you were went into it with an openness, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were like some of your first impressions, like when you first arrived? You know, maybe the first couple of days. What was your impression of? of it oh that was so interesting because jordan is considered to be one of the more liberal countries within the middle east right mm. and it's also bordered with pat with palestine and israel technically with israel right mm-hmm. but with both countries in my in my case i'll say it with both yeah and my first day when we got there we had a driver from the university pick us up and he immediately it was late at night it was 11 p.m you know, so we could have like just been like straight to the to the dorm building where we're going to be living or the residential building where we were going to be in. And he decided to take us to a local like restaurant where they were making oven oven baked bread. You know, the way that they make it there, their pita bread, Egyptian style, because it's also a country that the majority of the population is not fully Jordanian. Many oh. of them are Palestinian. Wow. Many are from Libya. Many are from Egypt. There's, so there's so many, there's the, oh, many are from Turkey and Lebanon, Saudi Arabia. So there's a major mix of, you know, this continent within this country. And he took us there like that first night. And that was the first time too, when I realized I was like, I'm so glad, you know, to have been there that first, first night, because those, those ideas that I'm telling you post 9-11, and even when you would like get in a train sometimes in New York, mm-hmm. you would have, you know, you would sometimes people would get out of a wagon if they saw somebody dressed in a certain way. Mm. And I remember those things, I questioned my mom once. I was like, no, 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 no. As a young girl, like, we're staying in here. Like, I don't understand <laughs> why you're believing all of these things. This was yeah. young. You know, you all sometimes don't even know why you do certain things. And it comes back to you in the future, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a long time afterwards. And when we got to our residential building, we're brought, you know, with the news that it's an all-female building. So this is not where you get a different, you know, a cultural you know, shock in a way, because Mm -hmm. no men are allowed past the lobby. So many women that there was like on the first floor of the building, there was a woman that was a refugee from Libya. And she was living there with her daughter. Her husband, you know, had a job in construction, but he was not allowed to live there. Mm -hmm. And because it's what they were able to afford at the time, like that's how they decided to live. And that was already one of my like first experiences, just those first two days in, in realizing, you know, that you truly and what mostly impacted me throughout this whole entire trip, but it was just that like experience of living together with women mm-hmm. 
that were like we were the only foreigners in the building. Everyone, or not foreigners, right? But from the only North Americans mm. um, that were living there because our one of our roommates was from Palestine. Okay. And another one, she was a third generation Jordanian, but also her parents were from Palestine. So you see this this mix um, of people that are living there, and we're the only ones that are not, you know, from the region itself. And like what really impacted me in general was that you really don't know the realities of people face until you live amongst them. Mm, yeah. Know? We really have to live amongst them to understand, you know, be compassionate, serve one another, listen to one another, and really build each other up. And I think that was the most beautiful part because it was also with women. Mm-hmm. And you see the resiliency that we have you know, with or without advantages or with the disadvantages that we also face because we all have them in different ways, right? Yeah. So it's be it's not comparing yourself. It's really just seeing the strengths that we all possess and the beauty of when we all come together and, like, give each other that, sh- that shoulder of support and encouragement and understanding, you know, of comprehension because just, like, listening or knowing these women's stories, you know, of also being forced to marriage. You know, one of my roommates, she she had been forced or they were trying to force her for an arranged marriage. And she mm. was she was my age at the time. So she was 20, I was 19. And she had previously lived in the States. And the fact that she knew the rights that women had in the United States influenced her to decide to opt out of that arranged marriage and like mm. do it by all means necessary and decided to study. She wanted to study instead and become be independent, be an independent woman, you know, yeah. and like do things her way as well without having to be measured by that of what a man, you know, is expected to do or a woman is expected to do and have a family and be limited. Because one something interesting was that in our university, the majority of, of people in our classes to us were women. Mm. So there was a huge female population within the college campus. And that was something, you know, it's wrong to think of it, but also when you don't know enough until you're there, as I'm saying, you see like, wow, women here also have like, you know, professional pursuits, you know, personal goals that they yeah. want to achieve. And they're, they're doing it through education. And that's really always such an important key in liberation. And these women as well um, in, in our, you know, in our dorm room, just like shared all of these things. And like when she told us that she didn't that she opted out and the the violence that she was summoned to from her own siblings, from her brothers mm. and her father and how the police took no action, no legal action against them because she is a woman and her having to like stay away from her family and deciding to live in this building, go into college and do things for herself. You know, we're, we're a very like, you know, it was also something very eye opening to see how our rights are exercised differently in different parts of the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the power that we build, you know, at different phases of our lives as women as well. When we become empowered, how we, you know, we reach a level of like believing in yourself completely and really like, you know, neglecting anything that is gonna harm you from fulfilling your own happiness. Yeah. And that that in itself, you know, was very powerful, which is when I mentioned to you, that's what led me to wanting to change my career path because it's like wanting to build, you know, that that, that, prox- that close proximity, mm. you know, with, with people from all walks of life, especially those that have lack of resources or lack of information sometimes that you know because of the impact that it's had on you and other people, how much it would help them yeah. as well. 
Yeah. And and that that was that was very transformative. Yeah. It was very transformative. Sounds like it. And was it all women in your group as well? Like the group of you who came from your university? Majority women. It was okay. nine of us total and it was five women and three men and four men. Oh, okay. That's how it was. So the the guys had to stay elsewhere, obviously, since it was So a- the guys, yes. Mm-hmm. So the guys lived in a different in a different building. That one wasn't just limited to women, so that was a, a both you know it was a family residency. Okay. And where we lived, it was just female only. Yeah. But you also know when you go out into the streets at night, you know if you go out after if you're in the streets after nine p.m. if I'm not mistaken, you're looked down upon as a woman. Mm. You know. So yeah, so they might think you know you are a whore, you're a prostitute. Obviously, if you're if you're in North America or from any other part of the world, it's more acceptable because you're mm-hmm. not from there. But it still comes with a degree of judgment. Okay. At the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So were you in class like most of the day? Like your typical? You were there for three months, so were you mostly just in we class there. a lot, or? Mm-hmm. Well, no. It was our, our our class day ended at one p.m. Okay. But we so it's very different there. The the start. Of their week is on Saturdays and the end of their week is Thursday. So Friday and Saturday are your weekends. Oh, okay. So Fridays are your day off, Saturdays are your day off, and then Sunday you go back. So <laughs> we actually got there on a Saturday mm-hmm. and, and the next day we had class already mm-hmm. when we had traveled from the States there. Um, and we had class on, well, Sunday through Thursday and it was with, we had the culture and history of Jordan and also Arabic classes. And that included trips to different historical sites. And we also had internships that we were each doing while we were Mm. there as well. So myself and the other young woman that were the undergraduates, we were at the Museum of Jordan in that case. And what we did, we actually are the project that we were assigned was to label herbs, (laughs) natural herbs. Wow. Which at that time I had no interest, you know, in really... Uh, like learning too much about them when I first got there, right? Mm-hmm. And now, you know, natural remedies have become such a big part of my day-to-day life for organic, you know, food and just consciousness over our ecosystem and our consumption. You know, as humans, it's such a big part of my life. And look how it kind of indirectly came to me <laughs> a few years back. Right. And how it all, you know, how it all connects now with the age that I'm in and also the life I've been living because I've been out of the U.S. now. Um, for five and a half years. Mm. So after I graduated from college, I ended up staying in, I went back to New York for a few months. And then I began in 2014, I traveled to Nicaragua here Mm. in Central America. I'm currently in Costa Rica, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I I served as a Peace Corps volunteer. And I served in in a community very bordering um, bordering Costa Rica called Rio San Juan. Mm. And I was a community health educator there. So that led me to remain in countries, usually a 27-month commitment, including three months of training and 24 months of service. In my case, I extended an additional year as a Peace Corps volunteer leader um, within three regions of the country. And, oh, yeah, one region, three departments, but it's three different regions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And extended until 2017. And after that, I remained teaching. Um, in Nicaragua, in the capital, and working in project development as well with different nonprofit organizations as well. Yeah. The Peace Corps sounds like... The um, Peace Corps. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's... I remember when I was in school, the Peace Corps was seen as like 
like even though you're volunteering, it's kind of seen as a prestigious thing because it takes, mm-hmm. you know, a certain type of person or it's maybe not so easy to, to get into, I guess, depending on where you're trying to go or or what you're trying to do. But did you see it as something that was like some sort of like impressive endeavor that you were starting on when you decided to apply for the Peace Corps? That's a very good question. I do think it's about your mindset. Yeah. Like, I really do believe if we stray away from all of these ideas of competition that are such a big part of the North American society Mm. in general, that you have to build yourself up to be able to achieve this. You do. You need to build experience. But there also needs to be purpose behind why you're doing it. And if your purpose is intentional and it's clear, I think it brings you close to to obtaining, you know, that vision and that goal yeah. that you have designed for yourself. Because when I, as soon as I got back from Jordan, so we got back in August, mm-hmm. I like was starting a few weeks later in my final year, my senior year in college. I was already again in that phase, the same way when I was looking for where to study abroad, I was already like looking for opportunities now to be able to work in international development mm-hmm. and really wanting to seek the right way of doing it in a very sustainable manner. You know that I'm not just going and building something or working with a community short term. Like I really did want, I wanted it to be, you know, long term, but also that those that I would be serving would obtain a long term benefit as well to it. Mm. And, and getting to know what the community's needs truly are. And two weeks into the semester beginning, in one of my classes, my professor, he invites a Peace Corps recruiter to speak. I had never heard of the Peace Corps. Mm. I never heard of the Peace Corps. Up until (laughs) that week in in September, technically now, of 2012. And I'm completely, you know, just, I, I, I was in complete admiration once he starts speaking about the work that people that, you know, U.S. citizens have been able to accomplish overseas, how long we've maintained, you know, these these ties with different countries throughout the world. And also, like, there was there was also an opportunity that I could have returned back to the Middle East. That was also in my mind because it was my oh, first okay. exposure, yeah. you know, to, to building community. And I was thinking about Arabic and I was like, I can strengthen, you know, my my language abilities and maybe go somewhere where, they, you know, they need me because it's also back then... In 2012, the application process, which was very intense, you know, it took you about two weeks to complete it. Mm. You know, the, the application itself was very long and the processes you had to go through and the clearance. The application process in general was almost a year. You know, some people oh, wow. prior to my group, you know, when I got to Nicaragua, had waited a year and a half to hear back from the Peace Corps and get their clearance after it being interviewed and being given an invitation or waiting to be given an invitation you know took me like nine to twelve months Mm. so it all varies in my case it was a total of nine months um waiting to receive an invitation and then to depart it was i applied in october of 2012 and i didn't leave until may on march of 2014. wow oh my gosh so it's it's something it's something that's what I mean. It's also about the mindset you have yeah. and how committed you are to doing it, but also having, you know, different different objectives, you know, along the way as well that don't just make you depend on that being your only outlet and your only option. Because yeah. I was gonna be graduating in May of twenty thirteen. So I could have you know, I applied thinking that I'd be leaving potentially 
August or September of 20, 2013 or December of 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I had in my mind. But I also had, you know, another another vision as well in case that didn't fall through. But yeah. I believe so much. You know, once I heard about the Peace Corps and my professor, I didn't know to that day that he was an RPCV. So RPCV stands for Return Peace Corps Volunteer. Mm. And he was in China and he ended up serving in China with his wife. You know, they were there for two years together. And him sharing what he, you know, how his community integration was, the projects that he worked in, like they just made me so hopeful. Yeah. And also that there was no, there was no representation at the moment from my university, you know, in the Peace Corps okay. in the world. It wasn't until I reached Nicaragua that I met, or I heard for at first I heard of, and then I met her a young woman as well that had graduated a year before me and she was serving in the same country as me from the University of Bridgeport. Mm. So that was two of us, you know, from a student body of almost 6,000 that were in that were with the Peace Corps in general from the University of Bridgeport Mm -hmm. in 2014. So that's also like if you compare the number, like, you know, from this university, this state, this amount of people serving within a grand, you know, organization on an international level. You know, that's also, that was minimal. Mm-hmm. So you do think, well, it is competitive. But as you say, it's maybe something that not that many people know of. Yeah. You know, and the benefits that you also get from it. So I, of course, have student loans. <laughs> and <laughs> I have student loans, still paying them. You know, it could become a long process, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, but you'll get, you'll get through it. Mm-hmm. And also the Peace Corps, you know, when you find out about it, that they defer your loans for your time of service mm. was also something that seemed like a way of reducing stress to me, mm-hmm. you know, and reducing that pressure of feeling like you have to like be making, you know, certain, you need to have a certain salary for living in New York, you know, paying rent in New York if you're living on your own. And then also worrying about paying a large amount of money for your loans. If you didn't know that, if you don't know how the different payment methods work mm. at that time, I didn't know them completely. And I just thought, okay, this is also another way of me being able to do something I love, which is serving, you know, being in service of others in a compassionate, but also in an uplifting and empowering way is something that guides me and it will continue to guide my life, I think, eternally. Yeah. (laughs) You know, at the time, I didn't know where I was going to go. So the application process was that you... You upload your resume, you commit, you give a motivational letter, and you also share a cross-cultural experience that you've had, which is where I shared, I shared what I experienced in Jordan. Mm-hmm. And also my personal story, you know, growing up in New York City um, as, a, you know, as a, as a daughter of immigrants and navigating that identity or those roles that I had that came with that, you know, in my community as well. Yeah. And you are not able to choose the country directly where you want to serve. But it's more about where your experiences and your skills will be best of use. And I saw that to be fair. You know, I saw mm-hmm. it to be fair because you're being placed. You know, it's like also the law of attraction, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're being placed where where you're needed. Yeah. And you're not necessarily like going with a complete personal you know, idea of like, I want to go here because it's probably one of the better countries to go. No, like back in the days, it was even more intense, you know, the the lack of commodities that volunteers had, you know, now mm-hmm. I think it's, it's very different, you know, due to so many developments with technology that we've had, you know, with water access, energy access, you know, that people have, 
but I wasn't able to choose. And what I did, what you are able to choose is just maybe give like two preferences of where you might like to, but okay. it's not that that's gonna it's not guaranteed that you that you would have been placed there. The application process has changed now. Now you could choose where you go. Mm. But back then it wasn't. And I had interviewed when I interviewed for it, it was very it's actually a very like impactful day because it's when the shooting in Sandy Hook happened as well. Oh my goodness. And I'm in Connecticut. Yeah. And I'm in Connecticut. Jeez. So yeah. like I would yeah, I would never forget and that same day my grandmother had a stroke and my grandmother now since that since December twenty twelve has had Alzheimer's. Oh, you know, my so it's so I'm it's so sorry. many different <laughs> little events. No, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we all go through different cycles in life, right? right. And everything comes around. I I was also like put on a on a fence in a way of how committed this is when I say mindset mm-hmm. how committed are you or am I to serving overseas knowing all of the potential things that can happen you know the next couple of years knowing what's going on in my country yeah knowing you know what's going on in you know amongst the youth and in you know schools you know in general in the state that I had been studying for three and a half years and also what's happening you know with my family. And these are all things that can easily like draw you in and kind of make you neglect a dream, you know, or mm. not neglect it completely, but stray away from it temporarily for some time until you see that there's a better oper- there's a better time or a time is more fit for you to do this. And I come I went into it, I went to the interview, but I was also so grateful and I had like this like happy anxiety <laughs> you know inside of me you know at the same time I was so I was like anxious but like positively anxious yeah. to interview but also very nervous because of what you're saying like you know you think that it's a very competitive you know um, a prestigious organization mm. to work with because there are benefits to it as well for you obtaining a master's degree and it's because of how the program is developed, why you're also serving and the training that you receive is yeah. very intensive, which is very good. Like the trainings that I received as a volunteer at the, for the three years that I was there, specifically the first three months, you know, are things that I continue to carry with me in my in my field of work today. Mm. So you do find that there are many, you know, many, many benefits to doing it. But I, I always say, look, I went into college and I wanted to build, you know, the Latino community, for example. Hmm. To me, that was very important. But then I also, like, discovered and got closer to my Afro identity at the same time because mm-hmm. of the people that I had surrounding me. And then merging these two things together. Then wanting to go off, you know, to to another place, anywhere in the world, but to also help, you know, in their development. If they're an impoverished country, they're under-resourced, then how do I use my citizenship? How do I use my education? How do I use the knowledge that I've obtained the past, you know, couple of years of my life experience to help influence one life, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's just one life. That's all you have to do because it replicates because I'm also one person. So that's really what what always guided me and led me while I was going through the application process. Yeah. And ended up, you know, after my interview, like I actually received an invitation to go to Africa. Where mm. in Africa, they didn't specify. It was okay. Sub-Saharan Africa. But then from there, I had to go through a medical clearance, a background check. And these th- these are things that take a few months. They're not immediately done because of the amount of people that apply for the Peace Corps on a national level. Yeah. So this is why we had to wait. But it's like month by month, I kept on sending an email so they knew I was interested. So it would just be an email to like remind them that you know I'm, I'm still undergoing the application process. I'm interested. I've been taking, so they asked me to learn French in this case. 
so I didn't know where I was going. But I was yeah. like, so where's my Arabic going to go? <laughs> you know, I was like, what am I going to do with my Arabic? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then we go to French. I'm like, all right, well, this is a little closer to the Rome. It's a Romance language. So maybe this will be a little easier for me yeah, with maybe. Spanish. You know, that's what I'm thinking, right? It's maybe. That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So now I'm investing my time in French on my last semester in college. <laughs> and now we're wow. in the spring semester. And... This was also a part of it. This is like, well, if you want something, then you're going to fill yourself, you know, with, with what you need to also be able to, to obtain it, you know, to mm-hmm. get closer to it. It's like when you set a goal, you set steps, you know, that you, that you have to take to get closer to it. So that's how, you know, how I saw it as well. And I ended up graduating and still being, you know, on the way waiting, you know, on the waiting list to receive, you know, my clearance and yeah. everything. And I didn't get any information up until August of 2013 mm-hmm. when I had just started an internship on Tuesday. And I got on my email on Friday with Amnesty International in New York. Mm, nice. And I'm like, why? And that was so, <laughs> when I did my vision board, when I did my vision board that, that spring semester, I had first the Peace Corps and my second, like my alternative was also going to be, was with Amnesty International. Wow. You know, so it was like what either one or the other. And I ended up getting that internship with them. And on that turned into, you know, working as a as an assistant field organizer. So traveling throughout the country, mm-hmm. you know, with with an amazing organizer. His name is Kalyan and he trains people on nonviolent direct action. So I was learning this while I'm also helping organize with him throughout the country, going to different college campuses and you know, and working with students on you know how do they organize to lift certain actions for certain social justice or human rights issues, which mm-hmm. are very important to me as well. And that was you know that was amazing. And then I was like, wow, I just started this. These are like the two things I wanted to do. I'm like caught between the two at the time because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I could stay with Amnesty and this could be long term. Like I can already start like building my professional career here in the U.S. Right. You know, this is like everything I'm thinking about. And at the same time, I'm like, but I really, 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 like in my heart, I felt it. Like, and it was a gut feeling all the time that I wanted to serve abroad, Mm -hmm. that I wanted to serve overseas. You know, I ended up emailing them back. And the invitation that they had sent me wasn't to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) My invitation was to go to Guatemala. Oh, okay. And I'm like, hold up. First I go through Arabic, but that was because I needed it for my major. I needed a language. Then yeah. I go through French. And then y'all telling me, I'm just going to speak the language I've been speaking my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is okay. This is perfect. You know, I still, I'm still like, this is good. But I also knew, you know, just staying up to date as well with current events and the crisis or the social context of the central of the, of the triangular Central American region, which included Guatemala, was with the violence and also with the limits of where volunteers are. So volunteers mm-hmm. aren't like spread around the entire country, like in you know in many other places they are. Like I like I was afterwards, um, there was just in a specific region of the country, given you know the the violence that they could be subjected to and things that can happen. So mm-hmm. I also was very in doubt. You know, those couple of days that I had to evaluate it and like look at the entire proposal because or the project proposal, because I also felt like, do I really want to go somewhere and be so limited, you know, yeah. in how I can move around and really always be like questioning my security and questioning my, my freedom and my liberty. 
So I ended up, you know, emailing them back and expressing that, I, you know, I've been demonstrating interest for the past year, you know, almost a year because it was 11 months. Yeah. And that my commitment to serving as a Peace Corps volunteer still remained very strong, but that I also, like, feared for my security and also, you know, the limitations that one can face while living, you know, specifically there and, this, and the work that we're doing. So it's also how well are we going to be able to execute you know, the educational processes, it will have also so many limits, right? So these were things that I had, you know, mm-hmm. in my mind. Right. I could have been wrong, right? I could have been wrong, but I still, like, sent them the message, the email, and they were super receptive to it. So it wasn't, like, one, because I could have easily, like, sent that and also been put again on a wait list mm-hmm. and told, well, we're going to, you know, we might just, you know, disqualify your application. You know, that also was a, that was, the, that was also a chance that I was risking. Yeah, yeah. But I also, like, here, I was, I was really looking out for, my mental like sanity in general because of the work too that I'm doing with Amnesty International. So yeah. you're being more exposed to understanding like what's causing all of these, you know, this, this migration and all of these, you know, social problems that we're also facing, you know, throughout the world in the US and Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, I then receive an email that following week, I can't believe I'm reliving all of this. No, it's okay. <laughs> I haven't relived all of this in so it's long. <laughs> um, we then, I then receive an email the following week being offered two alternative options of service. So I was like, what? Like, y'all giving me two options? This is this is a lot. I was like, you know what? At this point, wherever, wherever you best see me fit, because those will be fine. I didn't know the country specifically, but I was told South, Central America. Then mm. again, Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. So I'm giving these two. So I'm like, okay, I'm open to it. One, I would like be able to be of more, you know, I think of of more use, if you want to put it that way, mm-hmm. in terms of language, if I'm in Latin America, because I can easier, I can easily connect with the community when it comes to speaking, right? Because we're different cultures, but at least in speaking, I'll be able to to produce and do more. Yeah. Um, and if I go to Africa, then I'm also open to learning everything, you know, in a new way and connecting with my ancestral roots as well. Right. So, like, you know, you're seeing the pros to it all. And the following the following day, I get the invitation, the formal invitation to Nicaragua. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, okay, y'all wanted to keep me here in Central America. It's all good. (laughs) And I have friends. I have friends that are from Nicaragua in New York and in New Jersey. So it was so good to be able to, like, speak to them about it and already learn a little bit about its history in terms of why their parents migrated from Nicaragua to the U.S. Mm. since they are first generations there. And it was post-revolution. It was during the war that occurred in the late 1970s, um, 1980s as well. And they ended up traveling to to the States, you know. And and then we already, like, started to learn that, you know, that about it. One of my my best friend's cousins, he had done a study abroad in Nicaragua and, like, shared his experience. And it was all very positive. Yeah. So it was, like, kind of reaffirming. And also being, you know, just drawn into, you know, the abundance that I was about to, like, you know, be summoned to or, like, be attracting that I didn't even know. And that seemed to be one of the most sustainable organizations that accomplishes it, Mm -hmm. you know, on 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 an international level. And also, you're really directly working with community members. So it's not that you're, you know, you're a foreigner and you're here to come and provide assistanceship and just give to them, you know, what they need immediately. You know, you're identifying 
what their realities are, identifying their needs, identifying the already existing resources, Mm -hmm. and working with community leaders, working with future leaders, working with the youth, you know, and helping build what their vision is of their community together and giving them the tools, you know, that they need, that they can apply amongst themselves and amongst future generations and also influence, you know, and inspire them to achieve more you know, to really value the power that they have within themselves so they can make their own country and their own communities better. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the most important part of Peace Corps. It was it was a true commitment, you know, to serve others through compassion, through education, and most importantly, through love. You yeah. know, because I also ended up, you know, it really grounded me in what I call altruism, well, what is altruism, to always live my truth. And just being conscious of what my roots are as a Dominican-American woman and the conditions that my family lived in, you know, in rural Dominican Republic prior to to migrating to the capital of Dominican Republic and then also getting to the States and living in New York or some in Florida as or some in Florida. You know, it was very penetrating to me yeah. to serve people from, you know, the same, same region. We're still in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And although we're different countries, like, you know, we also have our history of colonization. We also have our history, you know, our stories of like agricultural farm work. And, you know, being a city girl, you kind of not, are not exposed to that too much unless you go on vacation to see your family. And even mm-hmm. so, you have some, you have some, you know, detachment from it because you don't know much of it. And like now living it and like, you know, I only had water every other day. The energy went out in Nicaragua like four days a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when energy went out, you weren't going to get water if that was your day of getting water. Mm. So making your resources last as well and working with the resources you have available. Yeah. Make you very, you know, very aware and very grateful of you know what you know benefits or there are to living in a you know more developed country mm-hmm. but at the same time not like seeing just the benefits seeing just how people are still happy you know or or experience not see experience the day-to-day of people that are very similar to that of my own yeah you know very similar and that that was very profound and to this day is something that i still you know keep with me like the same ways not the same exact ways of living but the consciousness of how to live, you know, with the resources and the preservation of our natural resources mm-hmm. more than anything is something I carry when I go to New York. Like, oh, that light is on. Why are you even, why, why do you have that light on? You don't need it to be on. <laughs> you know, showers, why are you taking 40 minutes in the shower? You know, why is it so hot? You know, all of, even like, like the toilet paper, like where are you going to flush it down the toilet? Where you can put it in a bag? Like all of these little things that I like, right. kind of just got adapted to. You know, I got adapted to it. Yeah. And my family would be like, this is not you. Who are you? This is, like, you are a completely different person. I don't even know who my sister is. My brother would tell me. And I'm like, well, you know what? In a way, it's good. Or no, it is good. In all ways, it's good because that means I am actually like committed to my growth. I'm committed to changing. Yeah. And you see it. And the fact that you're seeing these things in me, I hope that this message of how I live my life can transmit to how you're living your life and create Mm -hmm. just that consciousness of us having to like, you know, worry about and care about those that are to our left, those that are to our right, those that are to our south and to our north, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's just very important for us to 
to share those things with our families too because what we we gain it can't it doesn't stay with us in general because parts of you even like i was loud i was always partying before leaving <laughs> you know all of these things yeah that i would do and now i go home on vacation and i'm like yeah i want to go out and talk and eat <laughs> you know like you guys gonna do that and everybody's on their phones and like connected and connected and connected and i'm yeah. like oh is there a chance to disconnect y'all? Like right. you, you, they share, they seem to be so interested in hearing about what I'm up to and what I've done, yeah. but it's like a short term interest. It's like a five to 10 minute, like listening capacity, right. <laughs> you know, before you're, you're drawn to, to everything else around you, the external world, which is very mm-hmm. understandable. But I think those are the benefits that come with traveling. You know, yeah. those are the things that come when when you're intentional about it. And even when you're not intentional about it, something will trigger like that change in you as well. Something will inspire that connection in you to to being present, you know, being present where you are. Yeah. And then how so you were in Nicaragua for you said three years? Well, I served as a volunteer for three years okay. and then I ended up moving to well, I actually met my partner. <laughs> I met oh, okay. my partner while I was serving there. Okay. And we ended up moving both to the capital. Um, our lines of work and passions are similar, but also individual, right? Because that's yeah. very positive and very good to have. Yes. <laughs> um, but we merged them together in teaching. He's a, he's a musician, but also a social worker. Okay. And I ended up moving to Managua to be a teacher at an international school. Okay. As well as working with another organization as a director for volunteers and child sponsorships that held um, service trips or held trips in general over the summer for high school and college students to work in community centers in rural parts of Nicaragua Hmm. um, in building capacities of teachers and also teaching new skills to the the children, also maybe sometimes building um, a garden, painting a school, whatever the the needs were for that Mm -hmm. location to continue its process of development. Yeah. Um, so I organized those trips and also oversaw a volunteer program in general that was people that wanted to do three months, six months, nine months, or even two weeks of volunteering, um, working directly with the office, um, teaching our staff, you know, different different abilities, whether it be within engineering and technology, also training them in the different social areas that we had and just creating opportunities, you know, on a, on a national level for mm-hmm. the sustainable development of the mission of the organization, as well as that of the person that was coming to get to know this new culture. Yeah. And also make sure that they received, you know, something similar to what I was able to experience in, in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Then they came from the States and also from Spain. So it was working with those two groups of people, which was very, very beautiful. Okay. But last year in April of 2018, um, so Nicaragua is, uh, has a, the, the, the country given its history. They had a, a war to overthrow, throw a dictatorship, a civil war, overthrow a dictatorship in mm. the 1970s. And post war, then they ended up having a Contra revolution, is what it's called, with Nicaraguan some you know against themselves again but this time it was being um, arms were being sponsored by the United States mm. during this revolution in the 1980s and that was also very challenging to navigate going as a US representative 
Yeah. Or like, you know, now that I'm, I was only going representing the U.S., first I'm representing me as a, as a woman right. and as a person, but also the entity which, which I, with which I was able to enter Nicaragua was something that imposed many limits on how I went about fulfilling my work because of the history that they have with North Americans yeah. and that attachment to their revolutionary ideologies that they had. So last year, the current president in place has been in power for the past 12 years Mm. and he you know people there was a social security reform that they were imposing but they didn't go through any democratic processes to be you know to be approved and that stirred up that stirred up the population you know in a way that it hasn't been done you know in many years and they tried to limit that by attacking the pro the protesting and the manifesting population that uplifted really, you know, to obtain their given rights, you know, and to exercise their rights in what they consider to be an injustice to, you know, their economy and to, you know, their society as a whole. Mm-hmm. And also discovering and like being able to voice openly that they were fed up with him maintaining power for 12 years now. So this has become a dictatorship technically in Nicaragua yeah. at this point. And this happened while I'm living and working in Managua, in the capital. And I lived only three and a half blocks from the president's house, by the way. Oh, my so goodness. very close proximity. Wow. It's very close proximity. So this started April 18th of 2018. And, you know, it still continues. Like, we actually migrated to Costa Rica because of the violence that erupted as mm. of then. Okay. That day, you know, there were attacks against like the the police so the the government sent the police to be their representation on the ground and to physically um harm those that were exercising their rights and to also um use their they have a group a movement of like youth that started during the 1970s which is their sandinista that's what they could that the political party is called and also the ideology that was born um in the 1930s um, it's named after someone, but it's been completely, I say, colonized by the current president and mm. many, you know, popular um, followers of his in general to maintain his power and keep the country suppressed or oppressed. That they, those that were protesting, ended up being persecuted, were arrested. Many people were violated in sexual ways, and just that first week alone, ninety-six people were killed. Mm throughout the country from April through August that skyrocketed to over 300 you know and even so this day today there's people that have gone missing you know that were kidnapped and have you know some reappeared a little couple of weeks or months later you know dead you know by by water creeks or waterfalls and so this was a lot of the things that we ended up having to navigate because I was planning on staying to live in Nicaragua. Like I was in the process of obtaining a residency. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, you to stay long term. Yeah. And we ended up deciding to move because the school that we worked in had to close down because most of our children were that of expats and international folk that worked either for the UN or for an international embassy mm-hmm. or were investors and had their businesses there. But given like the economy collapse, they had to also flee. And also for the security of their families as well. So that ended up putting us in a position of reevaluating, you know, how secure and comfortable we're going to be feeling going through this and seeing how the climate was like, you know, evolving very rapidly and knowing what had been happening in also neighboring countries as well. Not in Central America, but knowing what has been happening in South America with, for example, in Venezuela and how allied they are as well. 
So just like, you know, putting things into perspective and thinking about the future. Um, and also that the home that we were, that we rented, where we rented our apartment was also assaulted that on a certain morning in June. So I'm telling oh, you, this no. started in April and just crime, the crime level heightened, yeah. but it was a sponsored crime. It was the government sponsoring criminals to mm. impose fear on the population or the people that had like, you know, st- stood up to defend and protect their rights and that of others. Mm-hmm. So it was something very, also very, very transitional, you know, 2018, it was something very impactful because for me coming from a human rights, you know, def- advocacy or like defending background, mm-hmm. it was like, I was very happy to see people, you know, protesting, organizing themselves, declaring and calling to action, like what they wanted to reform within their own country. And that to me was like some, you know, some of the work that I did as well. You know, I advocated for sexual rights, reproductive rights and women's rights, you know, gender equality. So many things that I was doing throughout my service and as a teacher as well in a very humane manner that, you know, it filled me with joy. But it also filled me with a lot of just sadness because of the fear that people like were also like doing this with. You know, when you go protest anywhere, like, you know, that there's a 50 percent chance you'll you'll be good. You know, you'll make it out you know, good without any injuries or you won't be arrested. And there's a 50% chance that that can happen. You know, you can be be exposed to to attacks and getting arrested. And all of this, you know, can happen. And this has happened since I've been in Costa Rica that when they've had to flee, so they, there's many refugees here. Yeah. So now I do, I do have a big connection with the refugee community from Nicaragua and I do work with them as well and try to obtain resources of assistance for, for those that are here too. But, you know, it's just knowing that it was like going in such a positive, you know, a positive path in terms of its development, but it also wasn't because of the person that was, you know, leading and dictating the country that had already an established agenda of how he wanted to maintain power and how he was just, you know, conditioning people to accept, you know, him being in power with what he was giving them, whether that be a ceiling or that being a home or that being some land. There was a lot of giving, giving, giving to keep people, you know, blind to the realities of how he's managing their their country. Yeah. So it was uh it was, you know, overall it really affected us because also my partners from there and you know he ha- he's a product of a war technically like he was born mid 1980s hmm. and right when the war was ending you know was when he was born so he still like experienced a lot of you know the the effects and the traumas that people were carrying you know for many years and also wanting to and very being very committed to helping his country and its development yeah. and the youth and also people from his generation as well and obtaining you know some some spaces to heal and of creating these communities of empowerment and of education as well and opportunities. So it was, you know, it's you having to now navigate detaching, you know, from your from your plans that you had mm. because there's a major force, right? There's an external force that is one that you have to consider how you're gonna move around it, you know, how you're gonna be like working around it or simply removing yourself from it and, you know, finding a new path, creating yeah. a new way and also just being true to what your purpose is, right? So not conditioning it to being in one place only, but knowing that we share so much throughout the world, mm-hmm. you know, and anywhere, many of your strengths and of your and your weaknesses as well will be needed, you know. So it's good to to open yourself, you know, in those ways, and that's what we had to do. 
Yeah, to start a new path in, in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that's only been since last year that you moved. That's been, right? yeah. So we okay. moved last year. And actually last year when I moved, when we left, um, I ended up coming here, temp- you know, just to transition. But I traveled back to the States. I went back to New York. Okay. And I had four and a half years without living in New York. <laughs> and what I ended up doing was... Um, I ended up, I used to work with Amnesty, remember, as I told you, prior right. to leaving um, for the Peace Corps in 2014. And I had been in contact with my former boss at the time, back in, back in 2013 and 2014, and told her, you know, I would question, ask her questions about how I could, like, find ways of sharing information on what was happening in Nicaragua on ground, who I could connect to help or provide assistance to people that had been migrating on the caravan, and, like, you know, we're at the border, so who she knew. Like, those are, like, lines of communication that I was building and maintaining with her. Mm-hmm. And she invited me on Labor Day weekend, or the weekend before Labor Day, because it was on a Monday. She invited me to go to D.C. because she worked for the Women's March now. So now mm, she's working okay. with the Women's March. And invited me to go to go protest. And she was like, you down to protest? And I'm like, back like I never left. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But also all of the energy, all of the energy, all of the rage that I had within yeah. me because of what people that I love so much and a country that is so rich in love and charisma. And, you know, people have truly always been committed to social liberation and wanting to be a voice or be a representation of that reality in the States, you know, because that's, that was now, that's my place where I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a country where I can do it. Although I was doing it there, I had to have, you know, I was limited because I was a foreigner and if a foreigner was caught in a protest, you would get deported. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I had to be very low key <laughs> about how I moved mm-hmm. <laughs> around there. Um, but then I was like, oh yeah, I'll go with you. And that week it was to protest against the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Mm. which is Supreme Court, you know, judge justice yeah. at the time. And we know all of the incidents that have, you know, been coming out with him of sexual accusations. And the fact that our administration is so indifferent, you know, right. to to these violations of human rights and our, you know, about our people, about people of color, how they oppress us, how they're limiting our growth or wanting to limit our growth. Like all of these rages that I like had within me, led me to go there, but yeah. also more so to be a voice and a voice that like, just like, why, why are you afraid? Like, what am I truly afraid of? Why am I not exercising? Like, why are not more more of us here? Like, you know, I was also there amongst very few black and brown women, hmm. you know, at the same time, it was a couple of us. And, you know, just seeing that and seeing who's able to go and protest and take a whole week off to be in D.C., you know, to demand, you know, healthcare rights, immigration rights, you know, something personally that they've experienced, demand from their senators, you know, and go to all these different spaces. I learned how to navigate that. And I'm glad that I did it because and these are things that you have to like teach your communities for them to be able to do this. But we went and we went into the court hearings where like all the senators are presenting, you know, their questions and bringing out, you know, reports on him, mm-hmm. and we're protesting in there, and I'm protesting surrounded by women that while I was in Nicaragua, inspired me with the movement that they formed when this man got, when Trump, when Donald Trump got elected. Mm. So all of this was like, it was just, I just felt like, you know, you live one of those experiences that you just, like, you're just like, whoa, am I really living this? <laughs> am I really yeah. here? And like, even felt like a knot in my throat, but I had to like speak up and like, you know, cause I, I heard offenses from Senator Grassley and how he like directed himself to the people that were protesting 
and like those in the back are being loud you know they're being disruptive and that's the point and like mm, the way right, that exactly. he just addressed us so minimal like we are nothing and we have no voice we have no power just led me to see how there's truly like a very limited democracy also a very conditioned democracy in the states yeah but that y'all don't care about us you don't care about my people so that's what i also let them know yeah like you do not care you will never understand what it is that we experience until you're really in our community seeing what it is that we do and how we're summoned to these systems you know that we've already been that have been designed for us to like fall and continue repeating in a cycle you know so like, all I did was speak for about 25 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. I, I was not measuring the time. Mm-hmm. And immediately I was arrested. Oh, my spot. goodness. And that was one oh of over 600 women that got arrested that week. You know? But that day, you know, it was just like, wow. Like, are you serious? Like, first I went in there because I was going to be the one catching, like, the pictures. I was going to be taking pictures of what was happening. Mm-hmm. But I was just so moved by his reactions and just their reactions in general. When we're like telling you what we feel and how you're so indifferent to it, I was like, nah, like this, this can't be. Well, this is exactly why every, you know, everywhere else in the world is also going through what all of the drama, all of the social political outbreaks and crises that they're going through because of the influence this country has had over them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it really, it just, it was, it was something very like life changing for me. Like that day, that week in general, just completely filled me with so much fire, with so much energy, because there was fearlessness, you know. Yeah. Of course, in our vulnerabilities, because as an activist, you know, we come from stage, we, we all come from states of trauma, some way, somehow. So that that was very transformative, and also seeing how so many Nicaraguans had been doing it too in their country, mm-hmm. and being and being okay, not okay, but being open to the consequences that would come that were much more severe. And being arrested, you know, in the, in the states for a couple of hours, knowing you would be released, yeah, you know, and you were you were in a group, you were in a room surrounded by a lot of people in the same cell. We weren't in a cell; they actually kept us all in the room because there were so many people protesting. They didn't have space <laughs> for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. even like a specific prison. So it was, you know, it was just very, very eye opening to see the differences and how we're able to exercise our rights throughout the world. Or at least yeah. in the Americas. That's all I can. I can only speak from my experience in Central America and in, and in the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, that, you know, led me to stay in, the, in New York for a few months. I ended up working with, you know, staying with the Women's March for those three months. So from September all the way through December. And then I also was just building myself, trying to also heal from everything that I had experienced and process also being back after so many years. Mm-hmm. You know, that I hadn't been and also transitioning back home is something when you've been traveling and you've explored the world in so many different ways. Yeah. <laughs> been away for so long. Um, <laughs> you've been away for so long. Yeah. And also wanting to to really like break free from roles and blossom, you know, to create a new change in you and all those that are around you as well. And that, you know, led me to want to commit to working more with, you know, hearing the stories of the Nicaraguan people that are in exile because it let me, when I went back home, and like I said, I'm from a place in, in New York where I grew up in uptown Manhattan where there's a lot of Dominicans. You know, we faced a dictatorship in the 1930s mm. as well. And that was one of those, like, most bloody and, like, harsh dictatorships that Latin America has ever witnessed. And what are the effects of the leadership after, you know, you, you've been living amongst the dictatorship and what you've witnessed, you know, for so many years. And that the president that was put in place was by the U.S. again. 
And mm. then it's like, you know, just ne- just questioning why the yeah. U- how the U.S. gets involved, how they shape how countries, you know, develop you know, throughout the years. And wanting to understand that and connect it, too, with a country that is also is, is a home to me. You know, Nicaragua was home. It continues to be home. I will consider it a home, you know, for a very long time, hopefully forever. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, New York is home. Dominican Republic is a home that I've never lived in, but is a story of my home, right? Mm, right. Of my family's home. And and just goes to show that we are a part of, you know, you are, you know, you can say I'm from this place, I'm from that place, but I think we're really from our experiences. Mm. You know, I think that's that's truly what, what we are. We evolve in our purpose, you know, through service. So I really wanted to venture off and come back to Costa Rica and create these ties and understand, you know, also what led so many people to to migrate forcefully and the different generations that are here. There's people that migrated post-war in the 1980s and the 1990s. And there's people that just in general, because of you know how the country has been developing itself the past 40 years, have also migrated within that time, you know, from the 19, from 1979 till now. And also the generation, the new generation that had to leave last year because of persecution, Yeah, you know. So that's like a lot of what I've been doing, you know, interviewing um, women and, you know, the gender-based violence that they face. Also teaching English to refugees because if once, they're, once they are solicitants of refugee status, they, in three months, they obtain a worker's permit. And here in Costa Rica, English is in high demand. Mm-hmm. So that was something that they requested, you know, to be, you know, to be a way of serving and helping them. So myself with two former Peace Corps volunteers were able to do that in the beginning of this year in forming a group of, of with refugees of English. And there was actually two, a student from Venezuela and a student from Costa Rica that participated in it as well from different ages, from the ages of 14 all the way to a mom that was in her late 30s mm. <laughs> that participated in this class. And also like seeing that as a way of teaching a language, you know, to build a skill in them. Yeah. But outside of that is giving them a space to also disconnect from the stresses and the traumas that they live day by day because they had to forcefully leave their countries. Mm-hmm. So also, you know, having having healing circles, you know, and being able to connect to our interior, you know, to with our internal self and also analyzing that part of us with our external realities has been something very rewarding that I've been able to do here. And as much as you think you're also helping others, you're also always like, connecting and helping yourself as well. They're also yeah. helping you, which is what's most beautiful about it. So I, I do believe that, you know, traveling purposefully and intentionally is something, too, that, you know, we as brown and black folk have the power of doing because these are all parts of our history. You know, we've been tracing the world for many, many years, for mm-hmm. many ages. And, you know, that that power was taken away from us for some time and it's reclaiming it again. You know, it's reclaiming it and doing it freely. Like you don't always have to do it in service, but just know that, you know, where you go and how you navigate through these places, whether it be for adventure, whether it be for work, you know, just at least analyze your surroundings, even if it's just like the nature around you, you know, also like let that connect to you and like disconnect from, you know, what's what's not serving you at that present moment, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's just very important for us to to be very intentional how we communicate and how we allow revelations 
about ourselves to come to us through travel. Yeah, definitely. And I commend you for all the the important work that you're doing. Like you said, the fearlessness that it takes and the the sense of purpose that it takes to continue to, you know, put yourself in these situations and serve people the way that you have. Um, do you, because I, I know you said that you were trying or you were planning on staying in, in Nicaragua, you're getting your um, like permanent residency or something similar to that. Are you planning on staying in Costa Rica for the long term? Yes. Okay. Well, well, I don't know for the long term, okay. <laughs> uh, but for now, yes, for now, um, we're planning on staying here okay. for at least, you know, the next year. It's also been amazing outside of the Nicaraguan people that I've been able here to connect with. Mm-hmm. Also, the Afro-feminist community of women or just the oh, nice. Afro community of women. Yeah. I love like having that embodiment, you know, surrounding me and building the relationships that I have been. The past couple, the past couple of months, um, so that also is like something that we, you know, it kind of like rearranges how you know what you think of the country and also staying here because you learn so much about our history. Like one of my like pursuits is to visit the the Afro descendant regions of Latin America, mm. you know, and get to know more of yeah. like you know these people and their stories and gather them. You know, whether it be through sharing through short films or, you know, just writing or documenting these stories and experiences is a deeply held passion I have inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I think this sort of Code Nicaragua was the first place where, like, you know, broke out. But here is, like, also somewhere that I'm able to do that as well. And so I'm thinking, you know, approximately maybe a year, year and a half. And I'm always doing visa runs. So every 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like leaving. I'm leaving the country, so yeah. I'm not. I'm still not in a, I'm in a residency position. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but every ninety days, I am crossing the border either Panama. I've done that one once, and then I've also gone back to Nicaragua. Yeah. Um. So I've been able to go back, and that's also you know a privilege of being a U.S. citizen at the same time as well. Mm-hmm. You know that you're able to to be in places without having to solicit many countries, not all places, but many countries throughout the world just pay a fee and an exit fee when an entry and an exit fee when you're traveling. So I've been able to still go back and, you know, be safe. Yeah. Which is very important, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Um <laughs> you may have already said this, but I am wondering because earlier when we first started talking you were saying how when you go to when you travel, when you explore new places, you learn about yourself. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. um whether it be from, you know, when you went to Jordan or being in Nicaragua or being in Costa Rica now, um, what you think are the biggest things that you've learned about yourself from being in, in each of those places? Mm. One, well, from each place, everything is, every place has like brought something different in me. Yeah. But I believe one has been the power in solitude. Okay. That has been a lesson that has really allowed me, you know, you're never really truly alone, you know, as I say. Mm-hmm. And if you believe you're already walking in your purpose, you are and you always will be. And, you know, the, the, the limits that sometimes you or barriers that you have within your mind, the times that I've traveled, I've been able to to overcome them, you know, even if it be... Of, I'm a city girl, right? So even if it be going out into a lake on a canoe mm-hmm. and finding so much peace in like 
literally just listening to nature, but also being able to create new habits. Yeah. You know, so I've been able to create habits that have allowed me to get closer, you know, to to having more, you know, to be more peaceful and to sustaining happiness because I think we're always like in search of happiness rather than living it and maintaining it. You know, and that's I think the challenge in life. But also, you know, another thing that I learned was ways of living. Yeah. The diverse ways of living that we all share, you know, and that we can have. And even if it's for a little bit that you're going to be living it, like nothing is permanent. So knowing and not being like so attached to everything, like remaining the same way or a narrative, hmm. always being, you know, a single, a singular way. Many can take many different like paths or many different ways. Right. Well, <laughs> good, good. That's <laughs> all that is very, um, you know, very helpful to keep in mind. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, I didn't want to mention this at the beginning when we first started because I didn't want you to feel like <laughs> under pressure or anything. But you are actually the 50th person that I've interviewed for this podcast. Oh. oh my god yeah go you yeah. go danielle well i was gonna thank you but i was gonna, amazing. gonna say thank you for being lucky number Aww. 50 like i've just been sitting here listening to all the knowledge you've shared and i feel like i've learned so much just in one sitting Aww. so uh, i just wanted to let you know i mean i'm sure you already know that you're special but you're also extra special oh, because no. you are the 50th person <laughs> that i've talked to Aww. for this podcast so I just wanted that you to know amazing. that. Yeah. That is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank, oh, you. thank um, you. Yeah, I really appreciate you. The, the role you've had in, you know, being number 50. That's a big number. So, oh, you know, it is. I'm glad it to is. have. I'm, I'm get to that age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that, that you're the person that um, ended up, you know, filling that slot. So thank you so much for it spending your time with me and talking with me i really do appreciate it thank you sis i think it's i think what you're doing is it's like i mentioned in the beginning Mm -hmm. it's very important and we need you know to have this representation of voices and also of creativity and service because you're also providing a service to younger generations you're still including older generations so you're creating that balance and that line too of communication for us to exchange and learn from one another because yeah. we also like gain so much you know from from the younger generations as we go on and being able to do it through stories i believe is the most powerful way for us to also keep this in history yeah and you know represent you know our, our black our brown all of the stories that we have right mm-hmm. yeah because <laughs> we need to be inclusive and this is also a part of doing it with the advancements in technology that we have too, mm-hmm. that we can be in different parts of the world and, you know, and share and get to know each other because I'm so yeah. grateful that you have this platform that you are very intentional about seeing it grow. You've made it to 50. You'll continue <laughs> making it with multiple, multiple 50s more. <laughs> You know, so girl, you better get ready for like 10 years from now saying you're my 550th. (laughs) You know? Thank you. It's good good for us to to be celebrating. Celebrate you, celebrate us as women. Yeah. You know, and celebrate our culture, which is what we got to continue sustaining. 
For sure, for sure. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I'm gonna just, you know, keep trying to do my best and see where it goes. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. You do yeah. as you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the last question I had for you is just where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so? Um, online, I guess we can stick to Instagram. Okay. <laughs> um, I do, my Instagram is Flor, which is my first name, mm-hmm. period, E, or like a Y, mm-hmm. period, Ser, and that is Flor and being, you know, flourishing in, in yeah. a sense. It's called, it's called Florecer. Um, and I can be found there. I do share a lot of what my journey in flourishing has been. And you also get to see um, about my past, you know, just like my travel and work that I've done overseas. Also, you know, while I was back in the States and it's a space for us to to continue like building each other up and mm-hmm. who knows where that's going to continue leading. But Instagram, I guess, is the it thing right now <laughs> <laughs> to stay in touch um, and a future blog that I'll be developing as well with Ooh, the same nice. concept of flourishing. Yes. Okay. Nice. I look forward to reading it whenever that comes out. Yes. That'll be fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Yeah. I'll share it with you. <laughs> yes, please do. Please do. <laughs> I will. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, I'm going to let you go, but I just want to say I really enjoyed getting to meet you and hear about your story and your experiences. And I wish you nothing but the best and all of the efforts that you're making to make the world a better place and support communities and all that. I just hope that continues to go well. And um, you. you continue to, you know, live live your best life, I guess. <laughs> right, live freely. What we, yeah. what we have to do is to live freely. Right. Which is what I, I desire and wish that you'll continue doing as well. Thank you for the space. Thank you for these questions, too, that sometimes allow us to, you know, relive and reflect. Mm-hmm. You know, very similar to being meditative. But for you <laughs> yeah. to continue elevating and empowering through young gifted and abroad i think it's a very creative also line of work that you're Mm -hmm. in and i'm sure that you continue evolving and flourishing in all of your truths oh thanks (laughs) for thank you so much so i'll definitely be in touch because i'm sure i'll have follow-up questions for like the resource list or whatever so you will hear from me again definitely Okay. Awesome. I hope so. (laughs) All right, dear. Well, you have a good evening or a good night. All right. Thank you. You too. All right. We'll take care. All right. Bye. All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Floor for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook. Since this is the last regular episode of the year, I will also say that you can follow Young Gifted and Abroad on Twitter. There is now a Twitter account. Uh, Follow the show at YG Abroad. If that is your social media of choice, then follow and tweet away. And also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast 
uh, pretty much all major platforms. And while you're at it, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. I would really appreciate that. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next week, next week, as I mentioned, there will be a 10 cents episode for episodes 41 through 50, where I will reflect and share what I've learned and express gratitude and talk about the break that I'm taking. (laughs) So make sure you check that out because more likely than not, that will be the last that you'll hear from me in 2019. Oh, I almost kind of, I feel sad now that I've said that, (laughs) but um, make sure you check it out uh, so you can hear from me one last time this year. And uh, you can look forward to that next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.